Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 19, 2012. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for today. And this morning, we're pleased to present a panel of three recovered compulsive overeaters who will be speaking on Step 1. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. A vision for you, if you're acquainted with it, is dedicated to the study, discussion, and teaching of the program of recovery contained in the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We focus on the solution. We are solution-oriented. Our objective, goal, and aim is recovery, to be recovered from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. However, why do anything about a problem when you believe no problem exists? Everything begins at the first step. Everything begins at the first step. To begin the journey toward abstinence and recovery, we must first acknowledge our problem. We admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Our admission of powerlessness and unmanageability marks the beginning of recovery. This morning, I'm happy to have three recovered compulsive overeaters joining us. We will hear from Esther, Greg, and Christy, and in that order, we will also offer you a question and answer period following the presentation, so just keep that in mind. This morning, I welcome first in line, Esther. Good morning to you, Esther. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Esther. I am a compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. I recovered today by God's grace, kindness, and mercy. So I've been a compulsive eater my entire life since I was a very small child. There wasn't a time in my life where I was not running towards the food or running away from the food. You know, the how, the where, the what, the how much of food and eating, this dominated my thoughts constantly. Finally, in spring of 2007, I came to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. And I dabbled in all parts of the program, did lots of things, but I didn't really take the steps seriously. And finally, two years ago, I met somebody and described by the big book as someone in whom the problem had been solved. And she brought the pages of the big book to life for me, and I'm grateful today to be recovered from the obsession to eat compulsively. So, you know, why the emphasis on the big book? Well, the big book was written to show us precisely how to recover. The big book teaches us what our problem is, what the solution to our problem is, what actions we need to implement the solution, and then how to live in the solution from there, there on. So today I want to tell you a little bit about my experience with Step 1, powerlessness. From the big book point of view, the goal of Step 1 is to identify our problem. So there are, there are a couple of chapters which teach us about our problems. And the first of these chapters is the doctor's opinion. And in that chapter, we learn about the first aspect of our disease, and that's that we have an allergy of the body. So there are certain foods, which I call binge foods or trigger foods, and I cannot eat these foods because they trigger in me the phenomenon of craving, which basically means that I can't eat them ever in any form because once I ingest them, I experience a certain reaction and I can't stop eating them and then I'm off to the races. It's binge city for Esther. So I won't go too deeply into this part of the step because we've just dealt with that 
extensively. We finished reading the doctor's opinion. We had a comprehensive, you know, absence panel last week. But I will say that if the allergy of the body was my only problem, then abstaining would be enough. But there's another part um, to this step, another more serious part to my disease, and that's in my mind. So in the big book, chapter one is titled Bill's Story, and it, it, it details the progression of Bill's drinking and its effect on those around him. So I read this chapter, I reflected on it, and then I sat down to write about the progression of my disease. When did my compulsive eating start? What were my relationships like with others as it progressed and so on? And let me tell you, it was not a pretty picture. It was something like a cross between the cyclone roller coaster ride and a haunted house. It was really awful. But I'll describe to you what life was like in those days. First of all, I, I could not control the amounts of food I ate. I tried regular diets. I tried abstaining from carbs. I tried eating only at night, dieting during the week, and then eating only on the weekend. I tried acupuncture, homeopathic remedies, eating only organic foods, eating only health foods, uh, food-combining diets, high-protein diets. I tried psychotherapy, hypnosis, and so on. I I used to plan my day around when I could eat. I especially loved when my husband was out of town and the kids were really little, and then I could eat to my heart's content with nobody interfering. I would be annoyed if I couldn't go out to get my fix of food. I had food in my car. I had food in my room. I remember almost hitting another car, trying to maneuver a bag of goodies in my lap. And I also remember my car, had done this a few times, swerving while trying to eat something in my car with a fork. I blamed my eating on bad genes, on my family, on life, on everything. Compulsive overeating affected every, every aspect of my life. Socially, I didn't like going out because I was afraid of the way I looked. Not afraid, excuse me, ashamed of the way I looked. I was putting my body at risk by being morbidly obese. I was exacerbating a chronic medical condition that I already had. I mismanaged household funds. I overspent on food. I bought clothing in so many sizes. Mind you, the only sizes I had in my closet were the big sizes. I had big, bigger, and biggest. I had to have endless amounts of domestic help because I simply couldn't manage the normal day-to-day tasks. In school, I underachieved. Even when I was in school, I threw away opportunities at every turn. I I acted against my deepest values, both at home and socially. I lied about what I ate. I ate food that wasn't mine. I ate food that wasn't put out for me, that was for somebody else. I treated God like a gumball machine. Here's my quarter, God. Now give me what I want. I had low self-esteem. I was angry all the time. And I could not seem to accomplish any of my life's goals. My relationship with everyone in my family was affected, and I was seen by others as demanding and difficult. So what does the big book have to say about people like me? Well, on page 22, it says, why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it that he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Why? I ask you the same question. Why indeed did I behave like this? Why do I keep going back to the foods and eating behaviors that sabotage me and set me off? Why? The AA 12 and 12 sums it up so beautifully, also on page 22. It says, excuse me, our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. There was, they said, no such thing as the personal conquest of this compulsion by the unaided will. So that's my problem. I have a mental obsession, and this obsession sends me back to the food over and over and over again. 
But not only do I have this obsession, but I'm powerless over this obsession. My experience has shown me over and over again that I'm unable to resist all the excuses to go back to overeating. I need to admit that I'm powerless over my compulsive overeating. And that meant that I was, what does powerless mean? It means without power, power over food. It also means that nothing I have can give me power, not self-knowledge, not the desire for things to be different, not physical pain, not desperation, not even watching myself struggle and fail at everything important to me. There was no person, situation, emotional state, or anything out there that would give me power. In the words of the big book, I am beyond human aid. And this is the point where we admit that we are doomed. This is step one. This is my problem. This realization that I'm condemned to a slow death. And let me tell you, I believe that the food would have killed me. This is... um, this realization tells me I'm condemned to slow death. And it's not the allergy of the body that condemns me to die. It's the mental obsession. So why, why do I have to make this admission, right? Why do I have to get so deep about this? Why can't I just say, I've got a problem with food, and let's move on to the solution? Why the admission of powerlessness? So the 12 and 12 ask the same question. Why do I have to admit complete defeat? Why is this step really the only step that we could do with 100% perfection? Because if I'm only 99.9% convinced that I'm powerless, then that 0.1% is going to feed one day on my insane thinking and one day rear its ugly head as some thought like, oh, I'll be okay, or this is not a real binge food, or I could start again on Monday. The fact is that most of us are only willing to admit complete defeat when we're at rock bottom. That was certainly my experience. I'm not going to be willing to save my life unless I think that I'm going to die otherwise. So I came to this conclusion and I put down the food, great, right? Well, there's more. Now I'm in a very vulnerable state because although I've taken care of the allergy of the body, it's going to take the rest of the steps to lift the obsession. So I need to recover from this state of mind before my mental obsession catches up with me. So there was no dilly-dallying for me. I came to the conclusion of powerlessness, and I moved right on to step two and beyond. But I want to tell you something. I had a gift. When, When I came into program... I knew that I was at my rock bottom. In the words of the 12 and 12, I was as willing as only the dying could be. I was ready to stop fighting and ready to, to recover. But what if someone's not there yet? What if someone's not quite ready to admit powerlessness, not quite willing to admit defeat? Then I say, you might need some help from some of our friends. Maybe you know these friends too. Betty Crocker, Sarah Lee, Ronald McDonald, I don't know, Joe Louie. I'm sure you guys could think of some more. You might have some more eating to do until you're convinced. I'll tell you, I didn't feel empowered or exhilarated or confident when I came to this step, when I took this step. I felt crushed and defeated and spent when I admitted powerlessness. I simply saturated my life with program. I put everything aside for a couple of months, and I did my step work. And those of you who've done this work, who've, who've made this admission and done the work, have traveled this journey, know what I'm talking about, know what waits there for us. But for those out there who, who have yet to to sincerely make this admission, were that, were that we were able to give it to you, but we can't because admission of powerlessness, it's an inside job inside you. And, and I hope that, you know, one day it'll, you'll all come to this conclusion, this admission of powerlessness, the admission that my life is simply unmanageable as long as I stay in the disease. And you'll come to this conclusion completely and speedily. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share.
Thank you very much, Esther. At this time, I welcome Greg to the line to speak on step one. Greg, you'll need to press star one to unmute. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. I'm Good morning, Greg. Greg. Good morning. <laughs> I'm Greg, compulsive overeater. Um, I just want to kind of give my background a bit. I've been abstinent since November 7th, 2002 with 105 pound weight loss and gratefully that weight has been off for over nine years i have been at a normal body weight for over nine years i have experienced life as life should be experienced um, through a normal body through a normal mind well maybe not a normal mind but a mind that is free from fear of living this life and let me just go back because I've been a fat kid my whole life and I'll t I'm going to tell you how it was, what it was like and what happened and maybe in that reverse order. Um, but I've been a fat kid my whole life and my first food memory uh, was when I was three. I'm not sure if I was a compulsive overeater yet, but I had this huge big piece of cheese and I kind of went and ran and hid underneath a neighbor's table. I'm from a small town, and under their table and hid under the tablecloth and until my parents could find me, and everybody kind of thought it was a joke. But that was my first kind of uh, memory of food. And, you know, just progressively got more and more about the food. I remember 3 o'clock watching Batman and Robin with bologna, a bologna sandwich with ketchup and a glass of milk. That was my favorite time. That was my binge food. Forget the Twinkies. Forget the cookies. Give me the bologna sandwich with Wonder Bread and ketchup. That's what I liked. You know, every day at three, I could count on it. My mom made it for me. It was just like it fixed me. You know, I could sit down with my friends uh, during that time and just eat it. My friends were Batman and Robin. I grew up on TV. I've kind of been a lonely kid most of my life. Um, or alone, I'm, a, I'm an only child, and, and food was always kind of there for me, um, kind of progressively through my life. At eight years old, second grade, the school nurse put me on my first diet. I was around 101, actually I was 101 pounds, and I got down to 99 pounds. I lost three pounds, and how I did it was, yeah, how I did it was my friend's mom used to make these mint chocolate cookies and instead of having two i went down to one and i contributed that to losing you know losing three pounds and i was so proud and my dad was proud and i remember my dad saying you look skinny and i knew right then wow skinny is the way to go well actually i knew before that but i really felt wow thin was in and if i could just be thin people would like me people would love me because i was starting to feel not liked, not cared about because I was fat. And a lot of that started in my mind. You know, I realized I was different when this girl had called me a pickle. You know, you look like a pickle, she said. And I knew I was different. So that's kind of been my whole kind of story up to, you know, sixth grade. People started calling me Albert after the cartoon Fat Albert. I liked it because people paid attention to me. I was well over 150, probably 145, 150-ish 
um, not well over 150, but about 150 in, in sixth grade. Got in a junior high, and um, I went from having friends who said, hey, Albie, how you doing, to who are you? And I, I had no clue what to do in junior high, seventh through ninth grade, and the food was just really, I, I couldn't stop if I wanted to. I didn't like this time of year because normally it meant uh, um, the two-minute warning before school started, and I was in diet mode, full-force diet mode. That's all I thought about, and, you know, it never really happened. I would play all these little games. I would eat once a day. Um, I remember going on a once-a-day diet, which was uh, eat a burrito once a day at noon, and I swore up and down to my mother. I didn't swear, but I told her, Mom, I'm going to do this tomorrow noon. I'm going to only have one burrito, and I thought about that burrito. I'm only going to have one burrito over and over and over. I thought, just one burrito tomorrow at noon, and I woke up that morning. Okay, today at noon, just one burrito. Today at noon, one burrito. 10.30 came, boom, I had the burrito. That was it, and my head said, okay, I'm going to start tomorrow. This is my one burrito today, and I couldn't stop. Whenever I was physically separated from certain foods, my head started to talk, or I started to pay attention to it. And it was like I would white knuckle. It was like me hanging on the edge of a cliff, holding on for my dear life, because I couldn't live life without those foods. I couldn't live life without being able to eat what I want, when I want, whenever I wanted. I couldn't. It was it was too hard for me. Life was always a little uneasy. I was always a little restless. I was always a little nervous, discontent. I had lots of fear, and I didn't realize it when I was younger. I had lots of fear. I had lots of resentment, and I didn't realize it. And when life would come at me without those foods, I didn't know how to handle life. I had no clue. And progressively, that got worse in my senior years in school. When I graduated high school, I was at 245. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but I didn't have the great relationship like uh, on Leave it to Beaver with, um, you know, Beaver and his mom. I had a different relationship with my mom. And it wasn't well. But the point is, my mom just said one too many times, get out, and I left. And <clears throat> I had a place to go, and I went from 245 down to 173, and instantly, I remember thinking, oh, I knew it was my mom's cooking. I knew she cooked too much. It was her fault because I was fat. She was overweight. She was the cook. Now I can stay thin, and I had no clue. All I can contribute it to was not eating her food, and... Um, so I would play more games in my head. <clears throat> now I would eat. Now I would drink pop, only pop diets, beer diets, back to the once-a-day diet, back to the um, any uh, exercise diet. Um, none of these diets for me really lasted. The pop diet, you know, I, I thought, well, my mom did this. She drank a six-pack of Dr. Pepper for like months and lost all this weight. I, I, I wanted to do that, but I could never stay on that. You know, I needed the food. The pop just wasn't enough. And 
Um, the uh, the beer diet, okay, that worked a little bit, but I could never stay away from the food. Never stay away from the food. My idea of dieting was always restricting, always not eating, because I thought if I ate, I would just get fat. I I didn't realize. I had no clue what what this was about. All I can know, all I know, was when I didn't eat, I went crazy inside. I got jittery. I got I got edgy. I wanted I I wanted to strangle everybody. I I didn't know how to handle life. And when I had my foods, I was calm for a moment, and then I ate some more. And then I was calm. Then I get irritable, eat some more. And it was just a cycle. I couldn't stop. And physically, when I didn't have these foods, I I physically like crave them. I, I needed them. I just I just had a craving most of the time. And, you know, the craving was never satisfied. It was, you know, I could eat one M&M. I remember this. I, I would, I would, I, I ate this one M&M and boom, it kind of calmed me down. But then I, I needed more and, you know, the, the bag was just gone. And once the bag's gone, I'm looking for more. Has nothing to do, had nothing to do for me if I was full or hungry. Had nothing to do with hunger ever with me. I never ate because I was hungry. I was always stuffed. I always had food up to my throat. I was always stuffed, just just full. Um, that's how I had to go to bed, full. I had to go to bed to where my stomach hurt and ached. And otherwise, I couldn't go to bed. I would actually get up and eat until I had that feeling in my stomach. It was just full. And I'd get up and, and do the bathroom break in the middle of the night, and that always meant hit the fridge, see what's to eat, get something to eat, go back to bed. I, you know, I couldn't make it too long without eating. Couldn't make it too long without compulsive overeating. Couldn't make it too long without that type of thing going on. And, you know, <clears throat> I've cleaned up fridges. I've heard it all. You know, I've been uh, back to school. Tremendous time for me. Uh, I was kicked, punched, spit on, uh, called names really almost practically almost every day of some of those years in my school. Well, that wasn't enough. You know, I've been told, you know, um, exercise a little, eat a little less, um, drink some water, eat only half. All those are really good ideas for a normal eater, but not for me. I, I'm just not. I'm the real compulsive eater. I'm not the moderate. I'm not the <clears throat> heavy eater. I'm the real compulsive reader. And um, for me, that there, none of those really worked. I remember this other diet, too, and then I'll kind of tell you what happened. Was It was before school. This was, this was the most fearful time for me right now because school was going to start. And school meant I would be teased and I would have all this fear about people saying stuff about me. But I would turn on this hot shower in my mom's, in the bathroom at home, and I'd get it real steamy. I'd weigh myself before I went in the shower or went in the bathroom. I didn't actually go in the shower, but I was thinking the steam would, I would lose weight from the steam. And um, I weigh myself before, go in there for 20 minutes, time it, and I'd just be sweating, come out, and I wouldn't lose, I'd weigh myself again. I wouldn't lose anything, but I would try this. I would try this kind of stuff, just hoping and praying that this would help. I was desperate. I mean, I remember a time when, I thought if I could just cut off physically, cut off my fat with a knife, and if I wouldn't bleed and it wouldn't hurt, I would have did it. 
you know, I had suicidal thoughts at 13, 14 years old. Um, you know, what's the sense? Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Everybody's beating on me. Nobody gives a crap. And so food was always my friend. You know, I, I always kind of joke, you know, my friends were really leave it to Beaver and Captain Crunch. You know, give me the box, the bowl, and the gallon, and the remote, and I'm good to go. Just leave me alone and go away. And quit telling me not to eat. Quit telling me I've had enough. Quit telling me that won't fix me because it will. You just don't know. You don't understand. And, um, you know, I've ate everything just to try to try to fix that craving in me. Broccoli didn't work. You know, I've ate tons of broccoli. That, that craving, it just won't go away with the broccoli. X-Lax, because it resembled chocolate. And that's all, the only thing my grandma had at the time, X-Lax, that, that didn't work. Baker's chocolate, it just didn't work, you know. Uh, but I would do, eat anything that was in the way, volumes to try to get that craving to go away. Volumes, when I didn't have my real, real trigger foods there. The sugars, the fats, the salts the heavy stuff, you know, the chips, the big cheeses, and then the, the candy or the cookies or the bread, that type of thing. I would eat whatever's in the way to try to get rid of that craving. That mental obsession in my head just wouldn't shut up. It just, it just kept talking constantly. And, um, boy, I, you know, my whole life I, I desperately wanted to be just like normal Johnny, just like normal Sally, and eat or just be thin. And actually, I remember wanting to be like my friend Brian. He was sort of thin, thinner than I was. And he could drink pop all the time and not gain any weight. And I wanted that. I really wanted to eat my cake and be thin too at the same time. You know, I wasn't really ready to surrender. I had no clue what that was. So it got to the point in my life where I was sitting on, laying on the side of my bed one time, and this is, I'm going to bring it all the way up to my adult years. And, you know, I'm, I'm laying on the side of my bed. It was probably 3.30 in the afternoon, and I just overdid it. I just ate way too much, and my stomach was, it, it never felt so big and hard. Like, it, it just hurt so bad. And I really thought it, I did some damage. I thought it was going to pop. I thought, boy, I really, I'm going to, I hurt myself here. And I didn't know what to do. I, I thought, should I go to the doctor? Um, I, I didn't know what to do. How do I, how do I fix it? I thought, and I, I remember just somehow seeing this OA thing on, on line. And I called this contact number for this meeting up here in Minnesota. And I called the person, and this had been after the Weight Watchers, losing all the weight at Weight Watchers and getting it back, you know, getting the high fives and getting the badges when I'm going down and them taking my money and then getting the frowns and getting the disappointment looks and giving them my money when I'm going back up, you know, and not realizing that that type of thing will not help me at all because it didn't deal with any of my disease. It just dealt with this, this, this outer external, one of my symptoms was the fat. That's it. That, that's all they wanted to deal with, and that's all I wanted to deal with. But I called this contact back from, from this program, or she called me back, and, and she started talking to me. I, she asked me, what, what happened? I told her the story, told her kind of my life story about, you know, the ups and downs of the weight and not being able to, 
to keep it off and just not being able to stop eating and just, just being fat. You know, I was just at a point in my life where I thought, well, I got to just spit it all out. And she started to tell my story without even me asking anything. She told me how she ate huge plates of spaghetti with garlic bread. And I had just eaten that that night. And she told me how she did these diets and she'd lose weight and go back up. And I had done that. And she told me how she'd exercise to keep the weight off and that didn't work. And I had tried that. And she told me how she did this diet and that diet. And I could relate to her so much and identify with everything she was saying. And she was a woman. And I didn't care. I could identify with her. She told me that she lost 80 pounds and that had been more than I had ever lost in my life. Ever lost. This was living, breathing proof of a person that lost 80 pounds and that ate like I did and I was identifying. I was on my way to that meeting. I, w I was on my way. That's all I needed. This is it. And I had no clue how, how to live this way. So I went to the meeting and everybody was talking about abstinence and I, I got so confused. They were abstinent from all the stuff that I was eating. White bread, sugar, refined sugar, uh, uh, caffeine, um, diet pop, uh, sugar-free gum, sugar-free candy, all this kind of stuff, all this sugar-free stuff. Um, and I thought to myself, in my head, I thought, they're not eating everything I am eating. How do I eat? I had no clue. How, what do they eat? I had no clue beyond my little experience in life, my experience with food. I had no clue. And so I, I got a phone list. I got some information, and I, I, there was, you know, it was a smaller meeting, and, and I, 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 I could identify, and I had some hope. And this was a Monday night, and Wednesday was Halloween, and I had a big bowl of Halloween candy that I had to pass out, right? I must have bought six, seven, oh, actually five, six bags. And... Um, for all the kids that are going to come over. And you know what? I barely get two, three kids a year for the past 12 years I lived here. Maybe tops five. But I always bought like five, six bags. And because um, I'm going to get all these kids. And the biggest kid was always me. So I'd always kind of eat it up. But that Wednesday, I remember reading the literature, the OA literature, and eating the Halloween candy. So I thought, oh, yeah. I just And I would identify. Anyways, that was my last kind of thing with the my last big Halloween, I went back to the meeting that Monday and more people were there and I was the only guy there, but I didn't care and I could identify more and I started reading this literature and I started listening to some of these speakers and all this and I started calling people on this list. I wasn't doing anything yet. I was just going to the meeting. I wasn't doing nothing. I was still in the food, going to meetings, suffering. But I was identifying and that's not enough wasn't enough for me to identify. Yeah, these people are in a shipwreck too, just like me, and they're drowning. So what? You know, we're all kind of drowning here. That never helped me. I could identify that one woman, and there was a couple other ones there, but she seemed the less strict. You know, it's kind of, the other ones seemed really strict. And um, I didn't want that. And so I, I kept calling this one woman. You know, every day seemed like for like three weeks and I would call her and complain about oh my 
girlfriend at the time is not good enough. My job is really sucky. And my parents are this and that. And I came from a dysfunctional family. And she was just a saint. She would just have a, she would just listen to my whining and complaining for what seemed like 20 to 40 minutes each time, every other day. And I was calling her because I was lonely. I was calling her because I didn't know what to do. And I was calling her because I just wanted to talk to somebody and complain about my life drama, how bad my life is. And that's how I lived my life, you know, just complain about everything. But I called her every other day, probably every other day for like that three-week period. And I did the same thing. And she was just the saint. She would kind of listen and be really uh, helpful and this and that. And then one day she asked me, Greg, Am I your sponsor? And that kind of, I had to, I had to either say yes or no there. And I got afraid. I, I, I remember doing this. Yeah. And that was it. You know, she went from this person that would listen to all my drama and all my complaining and whining to, okay, here's what we got to do. She stopped listening to all that crap. She quit listening to all that complaining, all of it instantly. She instantly said, okay, here's what we got to do. You got to make a trigger food list. We got to get you a food plan. You got to, here's a question. Um, I want you to read this in the big book. And then here's a question to write on. And instantly I felt, oh, she's so controlling. I got to tell her she's controlling. You know, at this point in my life, I'd, went, I'd been to 10 years of therapy each week, going to therapy each week because I got a lot of problems. You know, my parents are really bad and life really sucks. And, you know, I know what controlling behavior is, and she's being it. And I was going to tell her that the next day. So after she fought me on every food, you know, and, and um, or I fought her on every food, and every, you know, I didn't want to eat breakfast. She wanted me to eat breakfast. I thought, myself, I'm going to gain weight if I eat breakfast. I can't eat breakfast. She's like, you got to eat breakfast next. And I said, okay. I listened. Okay. And lunch and then dinner. So I ate three times a day, three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time. And she said, write your trigger foods. We went through trigger foods. And there wasn't, you know, I didn't have very many trigger foods. I, I, I could come only, I said, I, can, I only have seven. She goes, well, that's a lot, seven trigger foods? Let's read them. What are they? Read them off, you know, typical candy bars, this, that, and the other thing. And everything I was eating had the same ingredients, you know, sugar in many forms, many forms of sugar. I thought there was only one type of sugar when it said sugar. And I thought when it said sugar-free on the front, it was actually sugar-free, but it's not. I thought when it said fat-free, it was actually fat-free, but it's not. You know, it always added sugar. And I, I, sugar is one of my trigger foods, fats, certain fats, you know, I can't have certain fats. I was eating cheeseburgers and, and uh, KFC, and I would just eat the skin, and I just want more. I need more. And salt, everything had lots of sodium in it, lots of sodium, 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 lots of salt. And so that, she goes, everything you're eating has that in it. I go, oh, okay. So she says, okay, you can't, can't have those anymore, everything, you know. The toothpaste I have now does not have sorbitol in it. That's sugar. I don't, I don't have. Most toothpaste has, you know, the average crust has 
sorbitol in it. I don't have that. I don't have sugar that <clears throat> is fifth ingredient or beyond because in the big book it talks about entire abstinence. That means 100% to me. I can't lie to myself and say I can have sugar if it's fifth ingredient or less I I, or, or more, I mean. I can't have that. I can't. I don't want to risk it. I know what it's like to be out there and suffer in the food. That's hard. I could never get out on my own. I never got out on human aid. I never got out on my own will. You know, my will, when I come to that, not strong enough. I tried, I tried, and I, I just would lie to myself, you know. I'd try over and over and over and over and again, and it just didn't work. So she said, Greg, you, you can't, okay, that's your trigger foods. That's your, that's your alcohol. That's your alcohol. You can't have, you can't have, she related it to that. And I couldn't have that. So I had three meals a day. And after that first time, I remember asking her, well, what do I do when I want to eat between meals? Legitimate question for a guy like me eating every 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, eating whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. I didn't care what it cost because I always had money. If I didn't have the money, I'd just steal it. So she goes, well, Greg, she told me two things I didn't want to hear. She said, Greg, pray for the willingness to be abstinent. And so I, I, I okay, didn't make sense to me at all. The next day came around, it ate breakfast, boom, 6 o'clock, went well. 10.30 came around, I'm thinking, when's lunch? I got afraid I, I said that prayer because that to me was a food thought. When's lunch? I got afraid. So I said, pray for the willingness. And that wasn't like what she told me to say, but it, it, was, it was enough to buy me time, enough grace until noon. And that I kept saying, I said that in the serenity prayer, and I did her little work. You know, I read in a big book and wrote some stuff and, I just prayed. I had to really get on it. And I was really afraid that I was going to go back. I was afraid. And surprisingly enough, that day went a lot. It was my first ever day in my whole life that I had ever been free of my trigger foods and actually weighed and measured a whole day out. I'd never did that in my life. Up to that point, I'd never really made my food shop for it or or any of that type of stuff. I usually went to fast food restaurants and take out or delivery or somebody made it for me or, or I, my motto was always buy you fly. And at that point I was, I was kind of doing for myself what I could never do. And with a lot of God's help, it was practically all God's help. Um, I had to call her at 9.05 every night and <clears throat> I was past my bedtime, and but I did it. And I remember calling her that first night. She goes, how'd it go? I go, I was surprised. I said, well, it went, it went well, it went good. I did it. I remember saying I did it. I had no clue. I did it, I said. And I was so surprised that I actually went a whole day. And I kept doing that kind of same thing over and over. I had this food plan. I had a question. She had all these questions. And I would write and I would talk to her. And, you know, I started to kind of work the steps. And after a bit, I had to get a different sponsor. Her head just wasn't in the game anymore. Um, she went back out there, and that happened. And that's why I, I you know, I really learned that, <clears throat> you know, picking a sponsor is key. But 
I have to have a higher power that's a lot stronger than my sponsor. Um, I got a different sponsor, and at my fifth point, fifth, about fifth, sixth month, um, let me go back a little bit for the nutritionist. Uh, but my first month, I lost 15 pounds. And I remember thinking that fifth, fifth month, because she told me not to, my first month, excuse me. She told me not to, that first sponsor told me not to weigh myself. Because I would weigh myself, I'd go in patterns. I'd weigh myself six, seven times a day or once a day to not weigh myself for like months. Um, and I always played the game. I'd kind of play with the thing and make sure it zeroed out perfectly, take the clothes off, stand on one head, laugh while I get on it. All those kind of games that I played with the scale. I'd weigh myself over and over to make sure it was right. And I would walk to the fridge and back, weigh myself before, weigh myself after to see if I lost any weight. I remember running around the block thinking I would lose a couple pounds, um, the insanity. So she told me, you know, once, once a month, that's it. On your date, your abstinence date, that's it. And what I really liked about my sponsor, she made it real clear what abstinence looked like. It was really um, defined and it was really contained. And that made sense to me versus, well, I don't know what abstinence is. And you kind of, I needed it really clear what abstinence was. I don't have my trigger foods. I weigh and measure because I'm a volume meter. As I remember, I told you I would eat just whatever it took to get that craving. And my head's not right all the time. So she, she cleared it up. And um, so I was eating one or Weighing once a month, first month 15 pounds, second month I lost 24, and the weight just continued to come off. Fifth month I went to a nutritionist, and I really realized that I'm an overeater, and it really, because I had to admit, again, I have an eating disorder, and I didn't like that. She had a four-page um, history I had to fill out, and she, she gave me more food to eat and then more times a day, and I thought it was insane. I thought this is compulsive eating. I went to the meeting, and somebody said, from a, from a howl meeting up here, Greg, just try this for one week. You don't like it, get off. And I tried it, and I did it. I followed that plan. And what really helped me was I never told that first sponsor that she was controlling. I just, I just shut my mouth. I didn't listen to my head. Because I had a head that said, I know more about these steps than you do. I know more about food than you do. I know more about what to eat than you do. And I've been more to more meetings than you had. Well, the last one was true. I'd been to more meetings than, than she had ever been. That didn't matter. What mattered was I didn't listen to my head because my head was not right. My head would tell me stuff in abstinence. Well, maybe you can do what the other people are doing. Somehow they're having a binge and coming back into the meetings and being loved and being accepted, and they're getting back right on back, right back on track. Well, I don't want to risk that. My disease is deadly. My disease will kill me. I have no clue where I'll go if I binge. I have no clue. Or I could guess, well, be bad, I'll be worse, this and that and the other thing. But honestly, I have no clue. I'm not the power. I have no clue where this thing will take me. I never knew when I would get off, when the binge would stop. I, w I thought I would. I thought I knew before. Well, I'll just stop after this bite. I'll stop tomorrow. I'll try a new diet tomorrow. I always thought I was in control of this thing. I was never in control, you know? And my head, even in abstinence, will, I'll look in the mirror now and once in a while think, I'm normal. 
I, I feel so normal. I have no clue what normal is, by the way, for an overeater, for an eater. And But I would look in the mirror sometimes and think, well, I look like this Billy Bob over there. You know, I look like Joe over in Elk River. You know, I just look like Billy Bob. And But I'm not. Inside my head, you know, I'm the overeater. The squirrel cage ain't going anymore upstairs. It's not, it's not spinning constantly, thinking about food, thinking about a diet, thinking about the food shows, you know. I don't have an interest in food. I have an interest in life. And, you know, I'm not complaining about everybody and everything anymore. My life changed completely. And today my life looks like, you know, the great thing about this vision for you, I don't know if anybody's read it in the big book, is they talk about, you know, the great thing about all these stories in the big book is they always start out bad, and then they, they kind of start to turn, and then they turn out great. Well, this is a great story, too. It's a Cinderella story for me, for a guy in Elk River. And, you know, I, one thing I want to say is I've always thought I was sentenced to this fat, to this weight, because my mom was. I thought I would never get out of this thing, ever, ever. And on my own, I couldn't. On my own, I couldn't get out of this thing at all. I tried all those ways, and I only gave you maybe a handful of ways. You know, I have limited time here. I have no clue if I'm over or not on time. But I, I had no idea of what freedom actually was. You know, I thought it just meant being free of the weight, being free of the fat. I thought it meant just following a food plan, being abstinent on a food plan. But I'm not only powerless over certain foods, my life's unmanageable. And for me, you know, step one is only the beginning. You know, I really believe that, like like the person said before, Esther said, you know, I can only start this program 100%. I have to admit hopelessness. You know, I'm 100% powerless. And, you know, I I can't do this thing. I can't work just step one and 12. I have to start at step one, and that's got to be 100% right on, right on. I'm powerless over this. And, you know, that took forever for me to get here. That took forever for me to surrender. It took a lot of suffering for me to surrender, lots of suffering. I came in. I didn't come in happy. I didn't come in happy. I, I see people coming in the rooms happy. I wasn't happy. I was miserable, miserable. But... Today, my life completely changed. It's, it's, I live life today, and it, and it still gets scary sometimes for me. <laughs> but the great thing is, you know, with God, God manages it. When I'm being this actor, when I'm following suit, when I'm just doing what I'm told to do, it goes really well. It goes really well. It goes really well. Sometimes I get in the way, gets in tr- I get in trouble. This program has enabled me to live a life. I have never thought in my day that I would have a life like this. I have a great wife. I have a three-year-old little boy. I, I don't wake up in fear every day. I don't live in fear every day. I don't live in resentments every day. I don't live in the food every day. I don't live in the food. That's a miracle to me. The weight is gone. Yeah, my clothes wear out. You know, they they wear out now because they they say the same ones. They fit. They go out of style. People have to tell me get new ones. 
that's a gift I, I've never had. This power that I didn't want, this power that saved my life. I didn't want any of that stuff, this higher power. I didn't want this program. It was full of women. I had issues with women. I had issues with everybody. <laughs> but I didn't care. For whatever reason, I just shut my mouth and I just listened. And, you know, I, I needed to do that. I needed to not say what I thought I knew and just do what they were doing. And I started to see, you know, just the change. I have a relationship with my with my dad that I never had before. I have a relationship with my neighbors. I help people. <clears throat> that type of thing. That's God doing for me what I can never do. That's God. That's that's not Greg. Greg wants to hurt everybody, you know. But this program really changed my life. And what helped me keep to that power, that loving power that that just really keeps me separated from the binge foods and from the trigger foods and from compulsive overeating, you know, is God for me. And the only thing, the only method I've really, the only way I've really, you know, kind of keep that power clean, keep that channel clean is using the method in the big book. I've tried other ways, but I just get so much in myself. I never could get past myself. This method is so fast and clean and, you know, it's never been easy for me. It's always asked me to do stuff I was afraid of doing or I didn't want to admit, but it was real simple. And um, the more and more I do it, the easier it gets a little bit. But, you know, it really started for me at that, that, that suffering and then the surrender and then admitting that was, I was powerless. And I just want to say this before I go. Um, you know, I admitted I was powerless. When I came into the rooms, yeah, I'm just like you guys. I can identify and I'm powerless. But I didn't really admit it to myself until I started working with a sponsor and being that first day on that food plan. That was the first day I really admitted it because now I'm doing something besides just talking about it. You know, I'm physically doing something. And with that, I just want to say thank you for listening and, and I appreciate the time today. Thank you. And I'll pass. Thank you, Greg. Thank you very much. We now welcome Christy to the line. Hi, good morning, a vision for you. This is Christy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Leah, can you hear me okay? Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, just to qualify so you know a little bit about me. At my top weight, I weighed 340 pounds. I'm almost 6'1", flat-footed. And uh, even at that height, 340 pounds was considered morbidly obese. I have been maintaining half that weight, been at a doctor-prescribed maintenance weight for nine and a half years. And uh, certainly grateful for that. That is nothing short of a miracle, nothing short of a miracle for someone like me. I'm almost uh, 53, I'm going to still say I'm 52, but at the age of four, um, I still remember, I remember, and I remember what my birthday cake looked like at my four-year birthday party, so think about that. I'm three, I'm turning four, and I remember what my birthday cake looked like. Um, I don't remember who was there, I don't remember what presents I got, but I remember what my birthday cake looked like. You know, I was, I was doomed, I was doomed. From, the, from a very early age. Um, I remember at the age of four, 
I dropped an ice cream cone in a puddle and I picked it up and I started to eat it and people got a little freaked out that I was going to eat this, you know, dirt encrusted ice cream cone. And I remember I rinsed it off, you know, we rinsed it off with a garden hose and um, I ate it and there was something about that. There was something about that kind of soggy, soft, cool, whatever it was that gave me some ease and comfort. And I remember, I remember what that felt like. I remember what that felt like even today. I know that feeling. I sought that out. I sought that out. And um, I like this quote, and there is a solution on page 21 of our big book. It says, he may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And that happened for me. And I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but at a very early age, I was obsessed with food and I was obsessed with weight. At the age of 12, I was five feet four inches tall, I weighed 124 pounds, and I thought I was huge. I thought I was absolutely huge. And, you know, compared to other kids in my class, I grew up in a small town and, um, you know, I was the tallest kid. I was, I, you know, I felt I was huge. You know, I just felt like I was huge compared to other kids. You know, I was, I was certainly on the higher end of that spectrum. Um, but what that did for me is, you know, I went on a diet. I went on a diet. I went on a diet at a diet center, I think is what it was called. And I would stop by and I would get weighed before I went to school. And I would be thrilled if I lost a quarter of a pound. You know, that would just set my day off right. Um, I would at times weigh myself five times a day. Uh, just to see if throughout the day I had gained or lost weight, um, you know, whether or not my weight had fluctuated, uh, certainly set the tone for my day, whatever that number said. I, um, I remember buying a calorie counter book, and uh, for those of you familiar with the big book, this calorie counter book was about twice the size of the big book, and it had thousands and thousands of entries in it. And I meticulously counted calories. I thought 900 calories a day would be a good number. Um, it was under 1,000. 1,000 seemed like a lot. I had no idea. I had no idea biologically how much, how many calories someone, you know, a, a you know, teenager should be eating. But for me, I decided that 900 would be good. Now, mind you, you know, I wasn't spending time learning algebra or, um, you know, English or any of those important uh, topics in school, I was spending time meticulously counting calories. And, um, you know, I, uh, my, disease, my disease progressed. It didn't get better. It didn't wear out. It didn't, you know, it didn't... Um, it wasn't a phase that, you know, kind of faded with time and I got involved in other things and learned how to be a good friend. I um, essentially isolated more and more and um, became completely self-absorbed with diet, with weight, and with food. And, um, you know, on page XXX in the doctor's opinion, it says there is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. 
He changes his brand of environment. And those are the kinds of things that I did. And I spent nearly 30 years doing that. So for me, what happened with my weight is that I was unable to control my weight. I was unable to throw any of my ideas at it that stuck for very long. And I ate and I gained weight. So through high school, um, even though I was somewhat of a normal weight, after high school, um, you know, I made an attempt to go to college and I moved away from home. You know, I moved, uh, you know, several thousand miles away. I moved from a small town to a big city. I got new friends. I, um, you know, found myself you know, seeking out fast food restaurants. You know, I'd have to drive for a while because the particular part of the city that I lived in didn't have fast food restaurants readily available. And so instead of exploring, you know, the wonderful aspects of this, this fabulous city that I was living in, I was seeking out fast food restaurants. You know, I was seeking out that ease and comfort that I had become accustomed to when I was four years old, you know, that's what I needed. I needed food to help me get through being in a new city, to help me get through meeting these new friends, to help me get through trying to establish roots and trying to figure out how to do that without any tools except for food. That was all I had was food. And my weight progressively got, uh, you know, it increased. I increased in size. I, um, I spent, you know, much of my time trying to figure out how I could lose weight. I went on, um, I think I'd been on, you know, and there's nothing wrong with particular diets, but they just didn't work for me. You know, maybe they work for some people, you know, and I, I, I don't know, they just never worked for me. So, going to Weight Watchers numerous times didn't work for me. You know, I subscribed to um, magazines, you know, magazines that were geared towards, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. Hey, women, you can live a healthy lifestyle. And I would read these before and after stories of, you know, someone's physical transformation, and I would try to throw that at this addiction. And uh, not realizing, of course, that it was an addiction. Um, for me, I tried, uh, you know, the Weight Watchers, the self-help books. I um, tried various diets. You know, I bought different books, and I would read those, and I would see something on TV, and I would try that, or I'd be at work, and people would start talking about something they were doing, and I would just get hooked in by it. You know, I was sold on the idea. I was sold on the idea that if it worked for these other people, maybe it would work for me. And I would try it. And as time progressed and this disease progressed, so as time went on and this disease progressed, um, it didn't get any better. You know, as it says on page um, 31 in More About Alcoholism in the Big Book, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic, and that's what I tried. That is what I tried. I tried over and over and over again. And um, I would, you know, I mean, again, as my weight progressed and my disease progressed, that's how it manifested itself with me, 
I would, you know, I'd have uh, 30 pounds to lose. I would go on some diet. I would lose the 30 pounds. And then um, I would get down to a, you know, a normal weight. I mean, a maintenance range for me, you know, according to whatever chart I happen to be looking at. So I would get to this normal weight. And then I would start eating in the same way I thought normal people ate. I had no idea. I had no idea what that meant. But what I thought is that normal people could eat the way I did and not suffer the consequences like I did. So what I thought is that normal people could eat an entire bag of potato chips at a sitting, that that's what normal people would do. And, um, you know, they wouldn't want more even after the bag was gone. It didn't mean they had to go get another bag. Or it didn't mean that maybe they were tired of that taste sensation. You know, I've had the crunchy, salty, fat thing. Now I'm going to move on to something creamy, smooth, and sweet because I'm tired of that sensation. And then I would move on to a vat of something creamy, smooth, and sweet. And I would eat that. Then I would get tired of that sensation, and I would move on to something else. And I would continue doing that over and over and over again, and then I would start gaining weight. So the 30 pounds I had lost became 50 pounds I had to lose next time. I would throw whatever the next thing was at that 50 pounds. I would lose the weight. I would get down to a somewhat normal size, you know, quote, unquote, normal size, again, according to whatever chart I was looking at. And then I would start eating the bag, the vat, the trough, the barrel, the whatever. And I would not stop. Then it was 100 pounds. So, you know, imagine my surprise when I went to the doctor, you know, at, uh, I mean, it was having some, you know, some problems, as you can imagine, you know, you don't weigh over 300 pounds and not suffer consequences and, you know, physical consequences. And I had gone to the doctor and I was absolutely shocked. I was absolutely shocked when she told me I weighed 305 pounds. And she said, what are we going to do about this? And I said, I don't know what we're going to do about this, but I've tried everything. And at that point in my life, that was in 1992, I had tried everything. I felt that I had tried everything and nothing worked. And, um, you know, for me, um, I spent years, those countless vain attempts over and over again, trying to eat with total abandon. I was angry about everything I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat and not suffer the consequences. That was the true problem for me. I did not want to suffer the consequences. And, um, you know, as it says in more about alcoholism, the idea that somehow, someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker, abnormal eater in my case. Because for me, when I controlled my eating. I didn't enjoy it. I did not enjoy it. I was absolutely miserable and I felt like I wanted to crawl out of my skin. When I controlled it, I couldn't enjoy it. And when I enjoyed it, when I ate with complete abandon, when I said, you know what, I'm going to accept my body the way it is. I'm going to accept, you know, I'm going to go for this fat acceptance. I'm going to accept that I weigh over 300 pounds and I'm going to own it. I'm going to love it. I don't care. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And when I enjoyed the food, when I gave myself complete freedom to eat whatever I wanted, I couldn't control it. I couldn't control it. 
And there was no freedom. There was no freedom for me in being able to eat whatever I wanted. I was imprisoned and I was miserable. I was miserable, miserable, miserable. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I spent decades doing that dance over and over and over again. So that when I finally darkened the doors of OA in 1994, I, um, you know, I was miserable. My disease, my disease had beaten me into a state where I could walk into the rooms of OA. And as it says in More About Alcoholism on page 30 of the big book, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily, bodily and mentally different from his fellows, bodily and mentally different from his fellows. And you know what I, what I focused on in those first years in OA in 1994 is the bodily. I focused on the bodily and, um, for me, what that meant is that, you know, I asked everyone I knew what the definition of abstinence was. That was the first time I'd really heard the word abstinence, certainly in the context of compulsive overeating. I, I didn't really understand that. I didn't really understand what that meant. And, um, you know, as it says in the doctor's opinion, the phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. And what that means to me is that I have an allergy. I have an allergy of the body. And I like the definition of allergy that says abnormal reaction. I have an abnormal reaction to food. And I spent the first five years in OA trying to figure out um, what my abstinence should be. You know, in the big book, it says the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And so for me, you know, I at first said, in a way, I don't have a problem with sugar. I heard a lot of people say they had a problem with sugar. Well, if I didn't have a problem with sugar, then I could have put it down. You know, if I really honestly, truly was honest with myself, truly, 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 I would have been able to put down sugar and it would have been a non-issue. But by telling myself I really didn't have a problem with sugar, I could eat sugar. I could eat sugar. Sure I could. Sure I could eat sugar. What I told myself is that what I would do in OA is I would drink, I would eat, you know, I would drink alcohol because I didn't have a problem with alcohol. I was in there for a food addiction. So I would certainly drink and um, that wasn't a problem for me. Otherwise, I'd be an AA. Um, and, you know, smoking pot wasn't a problem either, by the way, so I would get high. Um, and I uh, decided that I would eat moderately. And what that meant to me was, you know, one plate of food. Now, you know, never mind that it was on a charger, the giant, you know, platter-sized um, plate, and I would eat um, just one of those. I told myself that was, you know, moderate. And I would eat just one of those, and I would be able to heap it as high as I wanted. That was my definition of abstinence. And, you know, when you weigh 340 pounds, which is um, – about where I was at that point, and you cut it down, you know, quote, unquote, cut down food from whatever I was consuming to get to 340 pounds, I lost weight. I lost weight following that food plan, and I actually lost 140 pounds. And, um, you know, that confirmed for me that I was on the right path. You know, I was doing something right. I was, you know, my definition of moderate um, was working for me. And um, 
Unfortunately, there came a day, there came a day when I um, crossed the boundaries that I had set up for myself, when I could not follow the food plan I had put together for Christy. And I overate, you know, beyond that heaping pile of food. And um, that set in motion the greater aspect of my disease, which is the mental obsession. That is the greater aspect of my disease. And unfortunately, unfortunately, um, what that meant is that I, um, you know, um, I found myself all of a sudden in a year and a half of relapse and I gained 100 pounds. And what happened is that I needed to, first of all, um, concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive overeater. That was the first step in recovery for me. And what I was presented with is that I had two things that I needed to contend with with my addiction. The first was certainly the allergy, the allergy of the body, that what I when I ingested certain foods into my body, when I ingested certain things, and for me, what I discovered was that sugar was a problem for me, fat was a problem for me, flour was a problem for me, and volume was a problem for me. You know, I could sit in front of a bag of, and a huge bag of baby carrots and eat them over and over and over again. You know, like a, you know, like a, a squirrel, you know, that's out in my yard trying to grab food and forage. You know, I was just shoving food into my mouth. It didn't matter. I was just shoving food into my mouth to get that ease and comfort from that behavior, from eating, eating, eating. I needed that sense of overfulness. Overfulness, as painful as it was, that's what I needed. And so for me, I had certainly that. And what I needed to do was identify those trigger foods. And then I needed to apply something, some kind of boundary around that if volume was a problem for me, so I'm not going to eat my trigger foods, the foods that cause me problems. I'm going to eliminate those entirely from eating. And I, you know, I had a food plan that was given to me, um, approved by my doctor who said, sure. I mean, anything's got to be better than weighing 300 pounds. Try it. Try it. Let's see if it works. You know, this looks like a good food plan. Great. I'll do it. And for me, it meant putting a container around my food, a little box, if you will. And I needed to uh, weigh and measure my food. I needed to know what a serving size was. I had no idea. My thinking was so distorted you know, and I should have known that, right? At 12, 5, 4, 124 pounds, I thought I was huge. At 6, almost 1, 340 pounds, I didn't think I was so bad. You know, a lot of times I didn't really think I was that bad. So my thinking was distorted. So let's get that out of the way. Let's make sure Christy knows what a serving size is and give her some boundaries around food. And then, of course, I needed to work on the greater aspect of my disease. And what is that? It's my thinking. The greater aspect of my disease is my mind. The greater aspect of my disease is my mind. That's what caused me to pick up that food again in the first place. And it will, it will lead me there every time. And the only way I have found relief from the greater aspect of my disease is applying the steps. You know, let's get Christie's food down first. Let's do that. And then we're in a race against that disease. We are in a race against that disease. And what that means is you need to work the steps. I, Christy, needed to work the steps. 
And I will tell you that what has happened for me is I've grown away from wanting that first bite of food. I've grown away from wanting that first bite of food. Food does not call out to me. Food does not call out to me. I look at food. Sometimes food is beautiful. I'm really glad that other people can enjoy it. I'm really glad that I don't have to sit on, you know, a holiday after people have stuffed themselves with really good food, and I don't have to say, I am so stuffed I feel like I could burst. You know, I felt like that on a Tuesday afternoon. It didn't matter if it was a holiday. Any day was like that for me. I don't do that. I'm not drawn to eating food. Food is not. Food is not the solution for me today, and I know that. So I needed to be given other things as a solution. And with that, I am just so grateful, grateful, grateful. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Christy. We thank all the panelists this morning, Esther, Greg, and Christy, for sharing their experience, strength, and hope and focused on step one. We now give everyone an opportunity to direct any questions they may have to our panelists. You can do that by pressing star 1 to unmute and introducing yourself. Hi, this is Maggie. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'd like to address a question to Greg. Oh, first of all, I want to thank everyone, all three of you. Just, it was outstanding, and I'll listen to the recording over and over again. But, Greg, there was one point where you mentioned about going to a nutritionist and also a how um, meeting or sponsor, and I got kind of confused there. Would you go over that time again um, so I can get it more clearly? Thank you. Sure, thanks. Um, yeah, I the I was at my meeting was when I when I went to the nutritionist, um, and this nutritionist had given me a food plan. I was eating three three times a day, three weight and measured meals a day. This is the food plan my sponsor had given me, and so I was doing that. But the nutritionist had now she was going to have me eat more times during the day, and I thought that was a bit compulsive. And so I had brought this food plan to my meeting because um, I was upset. I had no clue what to do. I thought I, I wasted my money at this nutritionist. But this person I talked to was a how member, and she had looked at my food plan, and she told me, Greg, try it for a week. It looks clean. It looks honest. It looks she, – she just said try for seven days. Try for a week. If you don't like it, you can, you can go back to the old way. So I, I just listened, and I tried it, and I, I was on that food plan for many, 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 many years. And did that answer both questions? Yes, thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Thank you, Maggie. Anyone else like to pose a question this morning? Hi, my name is Nicole. I have a question. Maya, go ahead. Down. Nicole, please, first. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you. And I I apologize if there's any background noise. I have three little kids that I'm trying to get ready for church. So if they talk, I'm sorry, but I really wanted to, to ask this. I heard from everybody something that I'm really struggling, struggling with is the whole 
wanting to feel full. And when I do my abstinent food plan, I'm fine for a while, but then I just really crave that feeling of wanting to feel that fullness. Like I think I just want to binge because I want to feel that. So I was wondering if anybody could address what they did to remedy that um, desire to have that feeling. Sometimes I notice that when I'm tired, when I've had a rough day, when I'm angry, I just want to get that feeling in my stomach. And although the food that I've eaten is plenty, I don't feel like it's enough because it doesn't make well that that overly full feeling that I was used to feeling. So that's my question. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Any of the speakers like to respond to that question? Yeah, um, this is Greg, go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's okay, Greg. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I did have that. It was uncomfortable for me to. Um, I, I had to start living life differently, and I started working the steps. The steps kind of took away because I would still come home from work, still come home from the day, and 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 now what? You know, I had all this stuff, all this experience during the day, and I'm new, and now what? My stomach's not full. I can't focus on that anymore. And I had to start working the steps. I had to start doing things I didn't want to do. You know, the first part is great, the abstinence, the food plan, great, I'm powerless. But then now life comes at me full force. And so I have to start working these steps. I have to write, oh, I'm restless. I'm uneasy with life. This happened. I used to put, I'm stressed. Well, stress is, for me was, you know, I'm usually resentful or, or fearful or things normally didn't go my way. And I had to work the steps. I had to do inventory. I have to pray. I have to call my sponsor. I need help. Even today, I still get that once in a while. I come home and, oh, I gotta, I gotta do inventory right now. I gotta call my sponsor right now. Here's what's going on. Boom. That's my experience. Thank you, Greg. Esther, did you want to add anything? Yes, thank you. Um, while I didn't say anything about that today, that was an issue for me. This um, issue of volume. And, of course, the first thing I need to do is if I'm getting a certain feeling by eating a lot or, or feeling that, you know, full overflow feeling, is i got to put it down the same way I put down all my other trigger foods um, because I, not, I have to remove everything that I'm using, you know, to create a certain sensation. But one thing that I learned as I did the steps was that's the purpose of the steps to to bring me to a point where the only thing that I – only one that I'm relying on is my higher power um, – so not um, not the feeling of having a lot, which is was something that was very um, predominant for me. I always wanted a lot. I wanted to feel full. I wanted to have a lot of things, a lot of whatever is what I thought was good in life. I wanted to have a lot of it. So that's really what the steps do is is that um, emptiness that I'm feeling is to fill it with with um, a relationship with a higher power. But of course, I I couldn't put my higher power in that hole in that in that emptiness unless I got rid of the volume first. It took me quite a, a couple months and a lot of uh, arguing with my sponsor to understand exactly what the, you know, the volume eating. And it wasn't even much. I mean, I was at a healthy body weight when I was doing that. It, you know, so like I said, it wasn't that much that was even extra food that was causing me to, to feel that way. But it took me a while to understand that I had to give up the, um, put down the volume to feel that, you know, that emptiness and then to bring God into there. 
And that's really what the steps do, uh, give us a relationship with our higher power so that we're no longer relying on anything outside of us, whether it's volume or relationships or money or good health, or, you know, any of that. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, um, Esther. So, yeah, this is Christy. Christy, go ahead. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I'll say to that is, you know, especially at that, you know, my first day of abstinence, you know, here I am, I've got boundaries around my food. I know that what I'm getting is exactly what I need to be getting. You know, I know that I, and I didn't know a feeling of just being satiated with food. I knew a feeling of being so stuffed that I couldn't eat anymore. And I had to wait, you know, I'd start eating again as soon as my body started processing food. And so it was a very new feeling for me to just be completely satiated with food. What was really important for me is to space my meals out so that I didn't get too hungry. You know, we have a saying, you know, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I could not get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You know, the angry I could certainly, you know, apply the steps to, although in those very first days, what was important to me is to say, I've gotten enough food. I'm going to call somebody on the phone. You know, I'm going to call somebody on the phone and talk to them. I'm going, to, I'm going to do anything but eat, you know, play that tape the whole way through. That was really important to me. I, I, I don't, you know, and, and today even, I don't let too much spacing go between my meals. You know, my meals have a beginning and they have an end, and there's actual space between those meals. What do I do between those meals? You know, I've grown away from the food, certainly, but, you know, in those early days, I didn't know what to do with myself. What am I going to do with all this time on my hands? You know, and maybe I'll clean out a junk drawer. They were all junk drawers. You know, I, I tried to just keep myself busy in the very beginning because, I, I seriously, I had a lot of time on my hands. But, you know, I reached out to other fellows. You know, I picked up the phone and I made calls. Um, and certainly looked at step one, what's going to happen if I pick up that first compulsive bite? I'm going to be right back where I was. I'm going to be right back where I was. And so certainly in those first, you know, first few days, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I just, you know, again, reached out to other people that understood, and they would give me ideas about what to do with things. And I played the tape the whole way through, and I did not let myself get too hungry or lonely or tired. You know, um, anger, you know, we've got a 12-step program that works for that. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, Nicole, Leia? for the question. Yes. Can you hear me? It's Sally. Hi, Sally. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Leia. Um, may I ask a question of the panelists? Yes. Um, I have been um, struggling with the scale problem for the last couple of months. Um, I got a nutritionist about two months ago because I had lost 40 pounds in the program, and I had found myself basically shooting myself in the foot every time I'd get on the scale and I'd approach this number 200 and I would shoot myself in the foot and start floppiness with my abstinence and go back up to 210, 211, 213. And finally, thank God, got a sponsor and basically confessed these are problems I'm having. I was playing a lot of games, but the scale was a huge, uh, a huge, like, corner of the, the game board, let me put it that way, which is a game a game board. And um I finally started to get rid of some very important pieces to my bag of tricks that were very deeply rooted in who I am as far as manipulating with the food. I used to use uh 
Lasix, uh, a water remover, which I shouldn't have even had. It was somebody else's Lasix that I got my hands on, and I would use that when every time I was going to get weighed on the scale so I could uh, get this weight as low as possible. I mean, I played severe games to the point of I literally would pray after I took the Lasix, please, God, don't let me have a heart attack because I just probably uh, deleted all my potassium. I was so panicked. So long story short, I finally confessed to my sponsor that this was happening, and I have a nutritionist that I go to every two weeks who wants me to get weighed so that I can see how I'm doing and see that it's working, that doing a food plan, that exercising moderately will work, that I don't have to fast 40 days and do all the crazy stuff that I did to get the weight off. But what happened was after I convinced my sponsor once again to let me go to the nutritionist, only the nutritionist, gave away my scale, gave my Lasix away, gave away all the, the tricks for that part of my game board, I went to my nutritionist, lost three and a half pounds in two weeks, which should have been enough, but instead it still was, I went crazy. I just, and I didn't want to tell my sponsor for four or five days how crazy my thinking was. I was still being abstinent, but I was in my heart freaking out that I, that I didn't lose 18 pounds in two weeks. Finally, I told my sponsor, okay, I can't do this anymore. So here I am. I have to do something. I paid for a nutritionist to take care of me for four months, and that's not a big deal. I don't even care about the money. What I really care about is what do you do with the scale? I know that there are people who say, I never get on the scale again. I get on the scale backwards. I don't want to know what the number is. Okay, I've heard Sally, this. Excuse yeah. me, why don't we, you know, in the interest of time, uh, allow the speakers to respond years. to that regarding okay. the scale, right? You want, yes. your, your question is regarding the scale and, and, uh, Sounds like boundaries around that. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So, in, in my pleasure. No problem. Speakers, anyone have some experience on that? Thank you. It's Esther. Go um, ahead, Esther. So, something that I heard was something about re reaching a magical number. In your case, you said it was two hundred, and somehow that gave you a license to. Um, to go ahead and, and now eat compulsively. You know, the the mental obsession is waiting there for us once we put down the food, and it will use every avenue to make its reappearance. So it could be that in your case, um, you know, reaching a certain uh, weight makes you feel like, I'm not that bad, or maybe I could eat a little bit now, or I could really ease up on things, you know, don't need to go overboard. Um, that could be, you know, the, the case here. Um, that so really the the only thing is to um, once you put the food down is to really do the steps as quickly as you can so that you get through the steps before your mental obsession rears its ugly head. Um, but on the question of the scale, if someone's having a problem with the scale, then um, then don't you know don't weigh yourself because I, I I don't know about you but I I mean I certainly needed to lose weight in this program the big book teaches us that once we straighten out spiritually we will straighten out mentally and physically as well so I didn't need to worry about what the numbers on the scale said and I actually don't weigh myself I have a regular doctor's appointment every ten weeks for something else and there they need to weigh me 
to you know control certain dosages of medication. So I get on a scale, whatever it is, it is. It's a, it doesn't matter to me because again, I know that if I'm spiritually fit, then my body will will you know be the right where it needs to be because I won't be eating compulsively, compulsively or overeating um, if I'm spiritually fit. Um, you know, it's it's a good thing to be connected to a healthcare practitioner who could just make sure that things are okay. Um, and if you go to her, I mean, I presume you pay her, so that means you can tell her, you know, if you don't mind, I'll get weighed because, you know, you want to keep your eye on things, but just not to worry too much about what this scale says. Maybe just, you know, know what the scale says periodically every three, four months because you're not in it. I mean, it's not about how many pounds you lost and if you lost enough, if you didn't lose enough. I mean, for me, the greater aspect of, of the disease was in my mind. Even when I was at a healthy body weight, having been absent for a year and a half, I was still telling myself crazy things and doing crazy things with the food at a healthy body weight. So clearly that wasn't my biggest concern at that point was how, you know, was it two pounds this week or three pounds this week? Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, this is Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, first thing I will say is that for me, I don't play games. I don't play games with my weight. I don't play games with my food. I don't compulsively exercise and not tell anybody what I'm doing or not doing. I'm clean with my behavior. I'm clean with my behavior. And um, for me, what I did when I came in, I weighed 300 pounds. I weighed myself once a month. I weighed myself once a month on the same day, once a month. Once I got within a maintenance range and my um, doctor set that range for me, it was a five-pound range. I weigh myself today once a week. I weigh myself the same day under the same circumstances. It's in the morning. Um, you know, it's, it's on the same scale. It's once a week. Um, I personally... Um, you know, have needed to make adjustments. You know, I've been at maintenance weight for nine and a half years. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I've been abstinent since September 9th of 2001. And I've had to make adjustments to my food depending on my activity level. You know, I recently had surgery. I was completely inactive, you know, for several months. So I needed to make adjustments to my food plan. It is, um, you know, taking care of the physical aspect of my disease, uh, certainly is important, but, you know, for me today, I don't play games. It's just a number on the scale. You know, I do joke about it, you know, I mean, am I within my range? You know, again, need to make adjustments as needed, and that's the way I weigh myself. I don't focus on the physical aspect of my disease. Again, it is, you know, this this program addresses the greater aspect of mind, that, that part of my disease, certainly, but... Um, the physical component, you know, for me, I do need to weigh myself once a week, and that is what I do while I'm on maintenance weight. And again, I've been doing that for nine and a half years. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Greg, compulsive reader. Go ahead, Greg. Thank you. <clears throat> hey, thanks. Um, you know, I, like Christy was saying, and, and Esther, um, I like how Christy kind of wrapped it up. Uh, you know, it's in my head. I, I've got to work these steps. You know, if it was just about the food, I, I wouldn't need any of this stuff. If it was just about what I weigh. I wouldn't need any of this stuff. You know, the games I played with the scale also like, like the, the person that I think Sally and, you know, I don't do that. The doctor weighs me. Um, I get a little fear once in a while, like Christy had mentioned and if there's an issue, you know, it, it can be worked out with the, with the food plan. It just depends. 
um, you know, I'm just not in charge of 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 uh, what I weigh. That you know, my first sponsor taught me that. You know, once a month, that's it. That's 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 the game now, and um, I'm just not in control, and I just have to trust, and that's it. And and that obsession of me will go away once I start working the steps. The the obsession will go away, will go away with food. The obsession to weigh myself constantly, the, the fear will go away when I work steps. God will take all this away. God will take all that fear, all that resentment away. But I've got to keep that channel clear. I have to keep that channel clear, and that's a lot of work. It was just about a food plan and weighing. Boy, I went neat all way. Boy, if it was just about diet and exercise, you know, I, don't, I didn't exercise to do any of this stuff. I have to remember that because for me, that was all, that's all dieting behavior. That's all, that's all my own thinking. That's what got me here, the diet and exercise, the playing the games with the scale. I realized that. That's, I had to make an honest appraisal about my whole life. You know, not just not just yesterday, but today, and so that for me, th- I know this for sure. The steps, working the steps, God will remove that for me today. That obsession to weigh myself, that obsession to think about the scale, that obsession to play games. You know, I can't play any games, like Christy said. I'm I'm either in or out. You know, it's either all on or nothing. You know, because I've got this disease that will just kill me. I have no idea what it'll do for me, but I don't want to know. You know, the big book tells me that I'll go three places, jails, institutions, or death. And I don't want to go to any three of those. So that I pass. Thank you, panelists, and thank you to Sally for the question. Anyone else this morning with questions regarding step one? Hey, Leah, this is Tammy from Mississippi. Thank you so much, panelists, uh, for your information. I'm a compulsive overeater. I have a a couple of questions. One, um, Esther, you mentioned that there was an uh, estimate panel, and I'm new to OA, and if Leah, uh, Christy, or anybody can tell me what that number is so I can find that recording, that would be great. That's my first question. My second question is that you guys kind of constantly mentioning, I've been listening to all of the other recordings as well, something about the abstinence uh, versus the obsession of the mind. And uh, especially for Christy, my question is, you, you mentioned that you were able to, you know, come to OA, lose the weight, and it took you five years to find your abstinence. Um, and then I think uh, Greg mentioned something that he, during his abstinence, uh, he would pray during his cravings or what have you. But I just kind of wanted to know, uh, the second question is, how did you deal with your obsession of the mind compared to your abstinence plan? And especially, Christy, it took you five years to kind of hone in on it. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank so, you. I'll just... Uh, Christy, go ahead. Yeah, sure. And 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 Tammy, make let me make sure I'm understanding the question. Are you talking about those five years of trying to figure out my abstinence? You yeah, you figure yeah, you lost the weight and you gain it, and mm-hmm. I, and maybe I did I did maybe I didn't get the whole picture, but it sounds like for you to fine tune it because it's sometimes the exception on the mindset. Oh, I can't eat sugar. I can't eat flour. I can't eat mm-hmm. whatever. 
and you lost weight, but yeah. it really wasn't something happened to trigger that to where you gained it all back or most of some of it back to yeah. where that part to me I think that's a uh is where I kinda want the elaboration if you can, if you have a time. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean I mean I could go on forever and I won't in the interest of time, but let me paint you a picture, you know, if if I if I could here for just a moment. So what I did is for five years I messed around with it. I did not you know, I didn't want to give up the food. I didn't want to give up the food. You know, I, I sat in the rooms for five years, and what I did in OA is say, I'm having a little trouble with the food. And what that meant was that I was eating. You know, I was eating compulsively. Now, I did because I heard people say, um, you know, that they just ate moderate meals. You know, and so for me, what I, what I did in order to lose 140 pounds is I, I scaled back to one heaping platter of food at a meal. So I would eat three meals a day with nothing in between, but man, I made those meals count. You know, that's what I did. And I mean, I was able to, you know, following that kind of food plan, if you will, um, I was able to go down from 340 to 200. Um, you know, my maintenance weight is around, you know, 170 pounds. So I was still 30 pounds overweight. And the problem was that I did not apply the steps. The problem, I had two problems, actually. So the first problem, of course, is the one we talked about, which is to um, put the food down. I did not put the food down. I, I followed Christie's plan, and even doing that didn't work so well for me. You know, it just didn't work so well for me. And, um, you know, so what I really needed to do is say, okay, I'm miserable. I've got five years under my belt in OA, and I'm still miserable. I am still miserable, and I'm still reaching out to the food. And I'm not at maintenance weight. I'm obese. I got a head full of OA and a belly full of food. That was not working for me. So I really needed to put the food down. And for me, that meant that I needed to, to completely give up. You know, what were my trigger foods? I needed to give them up. I was desperate enough to do that. I will give it up. I'll do anything. You know, my disease beat me into a state of being teachable. And so that was the first thing I needed to do. The second thing I needed to do was work on the greater aspect of my disease, which I never got to in five years. I never got to. I tried to work the steps. I hoped that abstinence would wash over me. It didn't. It didn't happen. You know, unfortunately, I was, um, I was pretty miserable during those five years. And eventually I thought, if I'm this miserable in the rooms, I'm out of here. I can be this miserable outside. And that's when I gained really gained 100 pounds. I mean, I had started gaining weight in OA, but really gained 100 pounds, and I thought, I, I, this is in, I'm insane. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I came back in not for the vanity, but I came into OA for the sanity the second time around, and I knew that I needed to do whatever it took, and so for me, it really was, hey, Chrissy, you really got to put the food down. Let's work on this physical part of your component of your disease, and now that the food is down, let's, get, let's beat that you know, let's beat that disease. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy, and thank you for the question. Uh, share code for the abstinence panel, which will help with the actual mechanics of identifying trigger foods. That share code two eight six five two eight six five. Thank you. Any other questions this morning? The topic is step one. Hi, this is Marcia from Maryland. Marcia, go ahead. 
I have a question for each one of you, and that is, what do you? How do you define being recovered versus being recovering from this compulsive overeating? Esther, would you like to start on that? Sure. Well, my purpose in doing the steps was to recover, and that's what the big book told me that that they the first hundred members of. Alcoholics Anonymous had recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind, and that if I followed their instructions, I too could recover. And what was the, what was I going to recover from? From the state of mind I was in, which is the mental obsession. Um, obviously, I won't recover from the allergy. I'll always always have that reaction if I eat my binge foods or trigger foods. But that I could recover from the state of mind, which was the obsession to eat the way I ate or um, to eat foods that I knew I couldn't eat. Now, while I was doing the steps, I was recovering. I, I was in the process of recovering. And then at some point, I consider myself recovered. That's what, again, the big book uh, promises us, that when we've done the steps through step nine and then, you know, live daily in 10, 11, and 12, that that at this point we should have, and you know, we've got a relationship with our higher power, so we have recovered. We've, um, we've uh, replaced our old attitudes, ideas, and ways of thinking with new ones. We no longer think the same way, act the same way, feel the same way. We've got a relationship. I've got a relationship with my higher power, and now I no longer have the mental obsession. And and as long as I c- continue that on a daily basis, you know, that's what Step 10, 11, and 12 do, and and, and carry the message to others, I will always be in that recovered state, of not you know, not being in that hopeless state of mind. So that's what being recovered means to me. I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Greg or Christy, did you have anything additional you wanted to say on that? Go ahead, Greg. No, go ahead, Christy. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, what Esther said. I mean, I like if you look at the forward to the first edition on XIII, it says, you know, we have Alcoholics Anonymous or more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And um, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. There was absolutely no hope for me, none whatsoever. And uh, today it is nothing short of a miracle. It is a miracle by the grace of this program and a power greater than myself and certainly the fellowship that I have recovered from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Greg, go ahead. Uh, Greg Overeater, uh, I just want to say, you know, ditto to Christy. It's just, uh, for me, I look at it as like, okay, being recovered and in the recovery process, two two separate things. Um, you know, I always thought, for one, recovered meant cured, and it doesn't. You know, I, I will always have this disease. It's just not active. You know, it's arrested. And as long, and God does that for me. And it's like, you know, I don't have the cast on my arm anymore. Sure, I still have that break there from when I broke it, and it will always be there. That, that broken bone will always be there. You'll see the little men there. It will always be there. And, you know, but the cast is off. But during that recovery process, that cast was on. I had to go see the doctor. I had to do certain things. Just like I have to work the steps, you know. I start at 1, go through 9. Boom. The freedom's really at 9, not at 1. You know, the beginning is at one. The real freedom came for me during that process. It's a process. 
you always hear four through nine, the process. Um, but that during that recovery process, that's when I'm in recovery. And then I was told I was recovered once I started with my amends, making those amends. Now I'm recovered from this hopeless state of mind and body in my head. So ditto to all the other panelists that I passed. Thank you, panelists. I need to make a correction on the share code. The share code for the abstinence panel that was uh, requested, that is 2838. 2838 is the abstinence panel. The number I gave is the share code for today's meeting, 2865. My apologies for confusion on that. Any other questions this morning on step one, please? I hear someone, but you're very faint. You'll need to speak up. Hello, this is Yolanda, compulsive overeater. I have a question. Yolanda, go ahead. Okay. Um, Greg, you mentioned something that really resonated with me when you said that uh, you had to be 100% on step one of being powerless. And if you were, even like for me, I, I read, I, I identify with it because it's that from 99.9% sure, it's that point one that sent me out so many times. And um, what are your suggestions for um, getting to that 100% without being bludgeoned and beaten down so many times? Is there um, any suggestions out there? Is there an easier, softer way? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Boy, all I can say is what you probably don't want to hear. You know, I just had to, I had to suffer. I had to be beaten down to, to, wow, what else do I have but to do this 100%. I had to admit 100% to my innermost self. Not that it didn't matter who I said this to because I lied so much in my life. I always made, you know, kind of resolutions and promises. But I had to admit to myself deep down. One a hundred percent. No, no games here anymore. No games, either in or out. Game day or not, it's go time. And you know that. Once I admitted that, and that was a big, big thing to swallow. That that was the biggest pizza I ever had to swallow in my life. It was just oh, I hated admitting that. It was just the toughest thing. Surrender is not fun. You know, it was the hardest thing I had to do. But that's what it took for me. There was no. I don't. I don't know any tricks to tell you besides besides the one you kind of said you know I, I had to be beaten down that's pretty much it but I, I know if I know I had to have that I couldn't have 99% I couldn't have 99.9% I couldn't have 95 I couldn't have 75 I had to admit am I an overeater am I not and it showed in my actions you know I could admit it all day but if I'm not you know if I'm not you know on this food plan boom am I really Am I the power? And that'll show up in my steps. Okay, well, I don't want to make an amends. Well, am I really powerless in my mom anymore? Am I, the, am I the power now? I don't need to make this amends. I know, this, I know I have to make this amends. I'm consciously aware of an amend I need, but I'm not going to. I can do that tomorrow. Now, am I the power? Do I have a step one problem? Sounds like it to me. I don't need to do inventory now. I, I did that yesterday. Well, do I have a, am I the power now? You know, I have to I have to be real clear. I'm 100% powerless. You know, I have, I have to be real clear because my head starts to play games even after 
you know, nine plus years of abstinence. It'll, it'll kick in once in a while. It'll say, well, I don't know. You know, there's one thing I've learned about, about recovery, about this program, about living this life is there's no shelf life. Either I'm going towards God or I'm going towards the food. There's no resting period. There's no shelf life. There's no sitting time. There's no break time. There's no half time. It's always go time, always. And I've tried to have shelf life, and I've tried to go back, and, and it, it's always that same thing. There's no resting time. There's just not for me. And my experience has not been, you know, either I'm going towards God and working this stuff and, and working through this, or I'm not. There's no like that. So, And it'll show up whether or not I really believe I'm 100% powerless if I'm working the following steps. It'll just show up. It'll, it'll I'll really, I'll really see if I'm really, oh, sure, I can give lip smack and, and some lip service to that. But, you know, it'll really show up in my actions. If I really believe I'm 100%, it'll show up in my actions. That would better pass. Thank did you, that Greg. Your yeah, did that answer your question? Yes, hello? Yes, hi. Uh, yeah, it did, and I, I just wanted some, um, I, I, I like the way you tied in um, your maintenance into that powerless, like not skipping a 10-step and all that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Yes, it's true. For people like us, we can only coast downhill. <laughs> that is true. Any other questions this morning? Step one is the topic. Hi, this is Adrian. Uh, compulsive overeater. Uh, Go ahead, Adrian. This is off topic. I wanted to know if um, they started a website for all the share code numbers yet. Adrian, the topic this morning is step one, but to answer that question, uh, it is in the works, in the works, and we will certainly update everyone uh, with any new information that we have. Thank you, Adrian. Okay. Any other questions this morning related to step one, please? Hi, I'm Gracie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Gracie, good morning. I have a, good morning. I have a question. My question is this. Knowing that, you know, you have this uh, obsession of the mind and knowing that you're powerless, um, how, you know, when do... When do the point come, and I'm asking this question because this happened to me um, recently, you know, knowing these things, but as soon as life shows up, you know, you have to confront and fear steps in and all of those uncomfortable, overwhelming feelings. You find yourself, I found myself going back to uh, a, a, a food item that I know I'm, that's not good for me, you know. Um, no, I did. Thank you, God. I didn't go out and and like binge or anything like that. But just the the fact of knowing, number one, I'm powerless. Knowing I'm powerless, and yet when I'm feeling what I'm feeling, I find myself using that to get rid of the feeling. Now the feeling didn't go away. Uh, still had to confront the fear was still there, you know. But my question is, what do you? How do you handle that? How? How do you get past that? 
Gracie, did you want any particular panelists to respond to that question? No, I, I'm open. I'm open to whoever. Okay, whoever would like to respond to that question, please do so. <laughs> it's Esther. I just wanted to say something. You know, you said something about, you know, going through difficult time and picking up a food that's not good for you. So I don't look at my binge foods and trigger foods as foods that are not good for me. Maybe I look at foods that have been sprayed with pesticides or something is not good for me. But my binge foods, my trigger foods, my binge behaviors are deadly for me. And that's that to me was my admission of powerlessness. I look at this food item, whether it's a, a bite um, or a whole bag of it, but even a bite, that if I'm going to eat this, it's going to kill me. It's going to take me to where I was and beyond. It's going to, it may not kill me on the spot or tomorrow, but that at some point I'm going to die from it. So, you know, if I were going through a difficult time, I don't imagine that I would pick up something that I know is poisonous for me. Now, of course, in order to maintain um, a certain state of mind, I, I had to have, you know, done the steps, right, to relieve myself of the obsession to, to even have the need to use food, you know, to get get me through life. But, you know, whatever the gap of time is from the, when you put the food down to you do the steps, you know, life happens and things can happen. You know, there that's where, you know, tools could come in that, pe- you know, it was already mentioned that people saturated themselves with program and phone calls and, and um, and reading and praying, you know, whatever you need to do to keep yourself absent because you're trying to get through the steps. I mean, for some people, they've got this great pink cloud because they're finally losing weight and feeling better. They, some do have that, some don't have that. But once once we recovered, we're in a, a completely new way of, of, of um, living and a new way of viewing the world. And, and while things could, you know, could happen, we have a new way to, you know, to approach life's challenges. That's number one. And number two you know, if, if I've been making my daily deposits um, every day, you know, in program, my 10th step, um, 10th and 11th step and carrying the message. So during the difficult times and they will come, you know, I've got something to draw on. I might, um, you know, I've got, I've got uh, like a, like a bank account of all these deposits that I've been making. I can draw on those. And I, and, and in addition to the fact that I, you know, in a recovered state, I don't need now to turn to the food to, you know, get me through whatever challenge, you know, has come my way. Um, I always say that if someone, I mean, I know for me that if I, if when I picked up a food or thought it would be fine or this will be okay or I'll start again Monday or, you know, today was a bad day, then it was a clear sign to me that I had not admitted powerlessness over that, you know, particular food. I, you know, there's, I, I have spoken to people who, you know, they won't touch the sugar and the flour anymore because they're deathly afraid of that. They know that they'll eat that, they'll be off to the races, uh, that's it, they're going to die. But they're still fooling around with things like volume. Well, clearly they haven't admitted powerlessness over that aspect of their their disease because they still believe that that one bite they can recover, you know, their own willpower can bring them back from. But um, that's how I view my, you know, foods that are off my food plan is, they're going to kill me. We recoil as if from a hot flame. If you've ever approached a hot flame, you know, the first reaction is, ah, <laughs> we just jump back because we know what it could do to us. And with that, I'll pass. Yeah. Hi, Thank this you, is Christy. Christy, go ahead. Sure. Uh, you know, and I'd like to say that all of my answers are my own and brilliant, but unfortunately, uh, 
that's not the case with me. So I'll take you to the big book and on page 37 in more about alcoholism, it says in some circumstances we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. You know, um, you know, and a little above that, it says our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. You know, for me, you know, life is uncomfortable. You know, life is uncomfortable. Christy, we lost you there. You'll need to uh, press star one to unmute. Leah? Yes, go ahead. Hi, sorry about that. I, I, not no problem. Happen, but what I will say is that, you know, I can, I can eat because I've, you know, broken a nail. I can eat because I've lost a job. I mean, I can eat because of anything. You know, I, I, I live life on life's terms today and my recovery has a life of its own, irrespective of what happens in the rest of my life. So when I'm uncomfortable, what I do is I apply the principles of the big book. You know, how am I going to get over being nervous, anger, angry, worried, depressed, jealous, or the like? And the big book is peppered with all sorts of ways for me to um, do that. The first thing I need to do is not introduce foods into my system that I'm going to be drawn to in the first place. That doesn't mean, again, that I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I just, having those foods down, I've got to do something, and that's work on the greater aspect of my disease. So the food does not become a solution for me. You know, food does not become a solution. Food was not the problem for me. Food was the solution for me. I need to find another way to live. And uh, that's where the steps come in, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Christy. Greg, did you want to add to that? I don't. Um, okay. Very good. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Well, thank you, Gracie, for the question. And thank you to our panelists this morning. We heard from Esther, Greg, and Christy, and we thank you for your time. Thank you to those who uh, directed questions to our panelists. We appreciate all who attended this morning. Again, the topic was step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And this admission of powerlessness and this admission of unmanageability marks the beginning of our recovery. Thank you to the panelists for all your insights this morning. And with that, I pass and wish you all a good day.